Welcome back to One Winning Pod. It's uh, three of us today, but not the three you're used to. Chris is officially on paternity leave. Wish him and Katie the best. Everything seems to be going well, and uh, our benefits are awesome. He gets unlimited time off, uh, full pay, and uh, yeah, so his his check will be coming in the mail soon, <laughs> all zero dollars. But uh, to fill in today and to talk about something really, really cool, we have Jake Luke from Exit 52. You might have known him from his previous show at Baltimore Beatdown and uh, the new show, The Jumbo Set. Welcome to the show, Jake. Thanks for having me on, guys. So, uh, yeah, we wanted to talk to you after listening to the first three episodes now at the time of recording of your new series, The Season In Between, um, kind of focusing on the 2006 season. Uh, this is not your first rodeo, though. You have another really cool, what would you call it? Like, it's almost like an audio documentary. Like, is that uh, what you call it? Yeah, podumentary, I think, is the term that like I've heard used for, you know, people that actually do it for a real living. Uh, it, you know, it's maybe a little cutesy. You could just, you know, audio documentary, uh, you know, oral history, narrative podcast, that kind of thing. A lot, a lot of names to throw around for it, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's awesome. It's a one word we could use for it. So you really <laughs> enjoy it. Uh, and I also wanted to point out there's a companion blog. I didn't really realize this. I don't know if you mentioned it in the episode and like two hours later, I forgot, but like I would only point it out now because there's some nice little nuggets there too um, on the X52 site. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, I think I, I think I say that at the beginning uh, at the bumper for each show. So like, you know, if you want to check out, get some more info on this, you can check out our website. So it's a little bit of a way to promote our website, which we're kind of still getting off the ground a little bit. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a little bit, a little bit of extra info in there too. So yeah, I noticed that too. Definitely recommend um, X52 is pretty cool because you got the whole, uh, you know, Baltimore thing going on right now. You got the Orioles, you got the Ravens and uh, no better time to kind of get into a show like that with uh, how good the Orioles are doing. It's like really phenomenal times. Yeah, perfect time to pivot for sure. I think we were actually talking about that before we uh, before we hopped on here, maybe a couple of days ago. Uh, some some good providence there that uh, things worked out the way they did for us. That's awesome. I guess to start off, like, why did you pick 2006? I think a lot of different reasons. I think um, I was just always fascinated by that team because of all the different characters involved. I mean, Steve McNair is just endlessly fascinating to me, like as a guy who came to the NFL when he did. Um, and I, you know, I think it's pretty significant that he was a black quarterback in 1995 who picked third overall. And, uh, that was the, I think highest ever draft slot for a black quarterback at the time. And he kind of, you know, he, I wouldn't say he broke down barriers, but he made it, he normalized it a lot more, uh, for, you know, people of, you know, minority colors or whatever it might be, or minority races to go on and play that position. And I always thought that was really cool. I just wanted to be a cool guy. Like when I was younger, this was really, and this is, it leads into another reason, which was really, this is kind of the first season that I was following of them week to week. You know, I had been born here to an extent, Pasadena, and then raised in the suburbs a little bit in uh, Reisterstown where I live now. But uh, in the middle there, moved to South Carolina for a couple of years for my dad's work. And we came back at the end of 05 and 06 was kind of that first season, like I said, where following it week to week, talking with my friends in school about it. And uh, it was a good year to do so because uh, they wound up being really good. And then uh, they were really <laughs> bad the next year. So, you know, I got, I got my hopes up and everything and all that kind of stuff for, I guess, not a whole lot of good reason until a couple of years later. But uh, th those are kind of the things that stood out to me. And then, yeah, there's just that interesting dynamic in the name where it's, you know, you don't really think about this kind of stuff unless you're like weird like me. And it's, right halfway between 2000 and 2012, kind of the end of one era and the beginning of another uh, with Billick uh, kind of on the ropes there. 
and uh, him getting together with McNair. I always I found that to be really fascinating. Both those guys kind of at the end of their rope, chasing a ring together. It's almost like a spaghetti Western is how I described it to Glenn Clark. Uh, maybe that's just me superimposing my uh, love for pop culture onto something like that. But uh, yeah, just a lot, of, a lot of cool angles to attack it from, I think. Well, I, I think uh, you and I think uh, weirdly in a certain uh, way, uh, listeners of podcasts know that I love Ravens history, love doing stuff for the show with this. I really love what I've heard so far from your podcast and both uh, kind of hate it too, because I'm like, man, this was such a great idea. I should have jumped on it. But man, you've <laughs> knocked it out of the park. You've done a better job on it than I certainly could have. Um, it. I know you say you don't do this for a living, but it does come off very professional and like um, just been a blast to listen to. Um, and I, I have to say, I also find it really interesting, your perspective from the 2006 season. So, you know, Alec and I, we're a couple years older than you. Um, people in our demographic, we always talk about the Super Bowl season as that was our first introduction to really uh, following a Baltimore team and, and rooting week in, week out, figuring out the game. And I think, you know, just hearing about someone's experience following a team when that was their first time doing it um, is always just such a unique unique thing um, to hear that perspective. So, like, you know, we remember the 2006 season pretty well, but again, we're coming from it for a little bit of a different perspective. We had seen the Super Bowl team. We'd seen, you know, the the years in between that season in 2006 where the Ravens had some chances and didn't quite, you know, get the ball rolling like they did in that regular season 2006. But um, yeah, and I love how you've pointed out there are so many parallels between the 2000 team and this 2006 team when it comes to the regular season style of play, um, just going on a dominant win streak in the back half, dominant defense. Um, that it, it is so interesting that that they just couldn't repeat the formula. And I'm I know you're not that far yet into the the podcast, but I'm I'm really interested to see your observations on how the, the wheels kind of came off. But um, I think I'm getting ahead of myself there. Uh, <laughs> To start with, you know, you do talk about it in the podcast a bit, but like, what were your um, memories going into the 2006 season? I know you talked about how you were always interested in McNair, so I'm sure, uh, I think you did talk about the Ravens signing McNair was an interesting moment for you. Um, do you remember really what your expectations were for the Ravens and, you know, the kind of expectations of those around you were going into that year? I didn't really have any is the cool thing. And like when you go into a year like that and something like that happens, I think the fact that they were doing so well is really what drew me in because I had enjoyed watching them a little bit when we had Sunday ticket or whatever. My family were all still big Ravens fans. We were living out of state, but you know, I would watch week to week and it would be like, okay, like, you know, they were decent at that time. They would be right around 500 and you know, some years they would make the playoffs and some years they would miss out closely. That was kind of the first year where it was like, okay, they got something going on offense here. Like I enjoyed watching the defense. I always like Ed Reed was my guy because he brought a little bit of that offensive flair to the team. I think I say that in the podcast at one point, um, but it, it was just a tough sell, right. For like a 10 year old kid. I think maybe I'm just projecting a little bit because, you know, other people I'm sure it captured them pretty well, but for me, I think it was finding that offensive consistency and then the fact that they were just winning week to week. It just it really kind of captured my attention. So maybe I'm a little bit of a bandwagon fan. Who knows? But that's what moved <laughs> in. And uh I've suffered a little bit since then, uh, in certain years. You know, it's been it's been a good ride mostly, but there's been some tough moments and uh yeah, I wouldn't trade it. So uh that was kind of really what started it all for me, to your point. Yeah, it's cool that you have that um connection to this season. And uh I do think it's funny you mentioned that 
both the 2000 season and 2012 season already have these kind of things because they want a Super Bowl. Everyone wants to cover that. But covering failure is almost as interesting in a way. Um, it would be kind of cool maybe, you know, what is this, uh, almost 18 years now, I guess? It, or What's math? I don't know. Yeah. Since that, that season. That's the wrong guy, let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, 17, 17 <laughs> Seven, years since 17, 17, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe 17 years from now, we'll do a show about uh, the 19 season. Because honestly, you look at 19 and you look at 2006, different reasons for the success of the teams, very similar, like almost experience of the season, though. I should mention when the idea first started to germinate, this was a couple of years ago. And that really, I think that part, well, that was part of it because it's like, okay, these are really the two that you look at um, in terms of seasons in, uh, in team history where it looked like they had it all together and then it just fell apart in crushing fashion, right? There have been years where they've been very good, but they go far in the playoffs and they lose in a more, you know, conventional fashion. These are kind of the two where they climb the mountaintop and right as they're about to get there, they just get kicked off and it just completely unexpected, just, knife to the back a little bit so yeah that's an astute point by you and i do think that was part of what uh, drew me to it as well do you remember where you were when they lost <laughs> i remember where i was for both of those losses you know it was six i was i think i was just at home i you know i was 11 years old or whatever at the time so yeah there was uh there was that part of it and then 2019 i very clearly remember where i was uh i was in federal hill and uh, a lot of just buckets of Bud Lights were consumed and just sitting at our feet. And we were just drowning in our sorrows as we all realized what was <laughs> happening. And it was, I mean, it was as packed as I've maybe ever seen. I think it was at like Banditos or something. And oh, nice. uh, okay. the rage and the the sorrow just, you know, enveloped us all. And uh, yeah. And then I went home and did a podcast. Uh, yeah. So then we great. all. <laughs> Peter, oh, Peter, do you remember 06 and 19? I do remember both of them. So 06, I will have to make a confession. Um, I only ever saw the fourth quarter of that game. I had a a basketball game scheduled right on top of it. Mm. Um, so I, I've only ever seen the fourth quarter. And, you know, that, that was a time in my life. Gosh, what was I? Freshman in high school. Uh, those are back in the days. I had gotten, uh, gotten cut from the JV team and, you know, like every every white kid back then I, you were like oh michael jordan got cut from his freshman team and then look what happened there so you know i was going through you know we were making a heavy push in the rec playoff bracket then so my focus was on on that of course so uh young high schoolers are fun but um yeah i remember coming home from the game and and like you know just turn it on and we're we're down what was it probably 12-6 going into the fourth quarter cuz then the colts had that long uh that long drive at the end there where Vinatieri iced it. Closer, yeah, closer game than I remembered. When I went back and watched mm. it for this, I was like, man, they really had a yeah. shot. Like, and that is the thing. You look at it, just some poor, uh, untimely turnovers could have made maybe pushed this game into overtime. Like you had that interception at the goal line that McNair made where he just never saw uh, the safety. I don't think, I, I, don't, I don't understand why else he would throw that ball if he did. Um, and then I'm pretty sure Heap had a fumble at like the 30 or something like that, and that killed the drive. Yep, McNair had, McNair had another pick. I think there were yeah. three or four dropped interceptions. Like, create when you go back and watch it like that, and that's sort of what I get into is just the randomness of all this. Like, you can have the best year, and you can have all the best statistics and all the, you know, this and that, but that's why football is, you know, why we watch uh, every week and we get as invested as we do. It's because it can all just kind of, you know, go up and smoke in one game. It's not like other sports where you've got a series of three or, you know, five or seven. It's, it's just the one game. And if you, if you absolutely fumble it away, you fumble it away and that you live with that for a year, you know, year plus really. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> just bummer to thinking about it. So oh, 06, man. I was in um, the Perry Hall, like original steakhouse, or whatever it's called, because I have that cool like part where there's like a bazillion screens all around you in the bar area. So Wait, I, th- I thought you said it was Silver Station. That was um, that was all of the uh, 2012 run. Okay. Yeah. Oh six. I can't remember. You always throw out these free advertising dollars, these places where you (laughs) sold the game. I can't keep track of them all. So that was depressing (laughs) as hell. And then, and then, and then nineteen. This is the wildest thing. Nineteen. We like had scheduled a a, a vacation, and we were in Orlando the day before our cruise was supposed to leave, or something like that. Maybe it was the other way around, like the day before we were going to Disney or something. So we're in Orlando. There's a huge Ravens community in Orlando. I go there. It's like 100 plus people at this thing. So much energy. I bring like a microphone. I'm like ready to like, you know, man on the ground in Orlando, make a special episode out of it. Completely scrapped because <laughs> it was just despair, right? And um, and then we like record I, an episode because I immediately had to, yeah, it had to be right before we went on the cruise because we record the episode late that night. Next morning, I'm editing in the car on the way to like the cruise thing, upload it right before we get on the, sh- the ship and like, Man, I hope you still got that useful in 17 years when you make that podcast about the 19 season. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> we had to do it. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> just put in notes right now. When you when you make it, we've got we've got some material for you to throw right in there at the beginning. <laughs> Executive yeah. producers. Yeah, and I'm some and like lights. I'm super quiet because like Rachel and my mom were sleeping <laughs> in the in the thing, and like the rush drummer just died. It was like it was just the worst. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, it was all the it was all the same time. Um, so it was, it was really depressing, mm. but, uh, but yeah, I guess <laughs> we'll get back to like the actual forgotten season here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now that we've bummed ourselves out, let's remind ourselves why we even care about this year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go into it on the show. I mean, they start off four and and, um, just really showing a lot of promise. And honestly, we going back about expectations into the year, I was super stoked too to get a guy like McNair proven obviously near the end of his career and had the injury woes. But after experiencing the Cowboy or Anthony Wright experiment from 2005, you know, I was, I was keen to get some stability. I was, I remember being burned by Elvis Gerback thinking like, Ooh, like they're bringing in a guy like this is going to help. And then that didn't obviously work out. And then the bowler saga, you know, you just really wanted to believe that being able to throw the ball 50 some yards on your knees was like a really important skill. Didn't turn out to be that way. And, <laughs> you know, like, you wanted it, to believe that. I, I never believed in that. <laughs> I can remember. Okay, we, we, we would have these right? arguments. We would have these arguments. And I mean, basically, these arguments were just us regurgitating, you know, arguments we were hearing from the from the adults around us let's be honest you know <laughs> but yeah <laughs> we would have that that argument all the time back when gosh what was this fifth grade sixth grade i can't remember when we when we drafted bowler that yeah, was sixth grade man sixth grade and like i know you were you were on the bowler bandwagon and i was like man no he's not he's not going to be the guy like he's not showing enough that's like what you're supposed they, to do man you're like we drafted him now he's like our guy <laughs> but i mean yeah now now at least uh you know well yeah but prospects. before i'm like uh i don't know about this guy <laughs> Before I'm too much on my high horse here for for having the winning argument there, I'll also say that I was also a big Chris Redman fan. So let's you know, I, I can't get too, I can't get too, uh, <laughs> can't take too big of a victory lap there. Chris Redman, obviously, Redmond, Lamar Jackson, all Louisville guys. There's there's a through line there. That's right. You know what's interesting about about Redman? Um, I was doing yeah for us a, a bit of Ravens history about um, biggest comebacks in Ravens history, and one of them was 2002. Um, with uh, 
Chris Redman quarterbacking against the Browns. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny, you know, we have everything on video now. You can find like thousands of videos on Nathan Peterman highlights, but like, you know, to find some video back and just be like, you know, who was Chris Redman? How did he actually play football beyond what you can remember? Um, scant, very hard to find. There's more videotape on him of YouTube on being uh, interviewed by some random plumbing company in Louisville. Dude, I uh, have from a seen, couple I've years ago. Video, I trust me. <laughs> I've gone, I've gone through this stuff with a fine tooth comb, and I know exactly what you're talking about. But <laughs> could not find anything on him. There's like some highlight video of him mostly in like Falcons preseason games. I was like, man, what are we doing? <laughs> like, there's, there's not a whole lot from that O2 season. Like, you know, I try to include for anyone that hasn't listened yet, like supplemental audio to give you some color of like what was going on. Yeah. Time. So you'll get some like there are these awesome like mic'd up videos that are basically like what Ravens Wired are now, but like. No offense to Ravens Wired now, it's very well produced, but they were way better back then because they were way more raw and like they, it was more of just like kind of following guys around. So you, I've got stuff in there with like Ed Reed and O2 just walking around to practice, just like BSing around with people and like there's stuff yep. with Suggs and stuff, you know, just all these guys that, you know, there's just this treasure trove of stuff that if you're curious, you can go back and find all that. Like it's all still there. That's the cool thing about the internet. That's what makes doing something like this, you know such a joy because you get to really relive it. It's not just like reading off yeah. a Wikipedia page. Like it, it brings it to life a little bit. Yeah, definitely. It was honestly incredible listening to all these things. That was one of the questions I want to have for you is like, what was the spelunking of yours? Like what was this research phase? Like as far as where did you find all this stuff? It's like all YouTube or what? Yeah, it's, it's so much fun. It's like you start writing and then you just, you know how you get down like Wikipedia or YouTube rabbit holes at like two in the morning of like, you know, people, you know, filling pools with cement or whatever it is. Or like, building <laughs> like that's me, but like with this kind of stuff. And I, I really got into it. You mentioned Forgotten Dynasty. Like I got into it with that. And like there wasn't as much video on that kind of stuff because that was in, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s to a, a large extent. But you go back and you find like these Sports Illustrated gamers from like 1968 and they're like, written by like Frank DeFord or like somebody like really like, you know, famous for sports journalism or just journalism in general. And it's like, you read all of that. It's just this very well detailed thing. And they give all this color and they they're just, they show their personality in it. You kind of look at the state of journalism today and like, no offense to anyone. I don't think it's their fault. I think it's the, the just the state of what the world is. It's just so much different now where it's just very rote and everything is just all or nothing. And if you're making money, then you stick around and, you know, you do whatever you can do to just keep making money off of, uh the consumer but back then it just it used to be very a lot more artistic i think and so i would get into those rabbit holes with forgotten dynasty and like i said that was much more kind of like reading off of those gamers and stuff I, I started to get into more like video of it the more modern it got but again that was spanning like 30 years this really spans probably close to like you know 15 years at most uh but it does spend a lot of time in that early 2000s era uh and there, like i said there's just so much stuff so really it's kind of just starting with the script and writing it out um, and that kind of does start with just reading the Wikipedia page and seeing the broad strokes of what happened, but where it starts to get fun is like, okay, like what happened here, what happened here? And like, I didn't remember, for example, that, um, fossil had gotten fired. Mm. So like, I got a decent bit into the regular season, like writing it. And then I was like, oh shit, like I missed that fossil got fired. Like I have to go back <laughs> and rewrite this. So like you go down that, uh, that rabbit hole, you go back. Um, and you, you know, you fix it a little bit or you, you just, you, you work around a certain storyline and there's just a, a lot of different things like Ray Lewis re- requesting the trade. And like, was that contractual? What was going on there? Uh, and then I did a couple interviews. I did one with John Eisenberg, who was a columnist at the time for the Baltimore sun that he worked for the Ravens years later. And he was very knowledgeable. So I did I include stuff with him and then with Wade Harmon, who was a coach as well. And yeah, man, it's just kind of piecing a puzzle together a little bit. It really, uh, it fires the synapses for me. It's fun. 
Yeah, you certainly found a ton. Um, you know, I pride myself in remembering a ton of random Raven stuff. And I, I'll admit, I actually had completely forgotten that Ray had requested a trade after the 2005 season. Um, it's possible that I never really actually knew that because, again, we're talking about an age... Uh, 2005, I think we had just gotten cable TV. We still had dial-up internet. So, like, you know, it was a lot harder to get information back then in those yeah. days with those resources. But um, that one, I think, was really crazy to think, you know, had the Ravens not done what they did, you know, get McNair for um, to help out the offense, and then for them to have the success that they did that year... You might look at Ray when, you know, March 2008, when he tested the free agent market, like he may have very well have left or might have been gone before that. Um, and gosh, think about how much help crucially was to the, the next uh, six, seven seasons. But yeah, I mean, it's so interesting going back to expectations of this team. I feel like what, having grown up with it, 2000 kind of got our fan base a little overzealous in our expectations, I guess. You know, you win a Super Bowl the way we did with that dominant defense and basically no passing game. And I think the thought process for a lot of fans was just like, our defense is so dominant. We can run the ball so well. How amazing would we be if we just had a quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over, right? <laughs> so, you know, even though 2005 was such a dumpster fire of a year for so many reasons, I, I think that once we've, we found that we were going to get McNair, even though he was coming off two years where he wasn't quite, you know, the MVP self that he had been in 03, you know, I think a lot of fans were eager to write it off to, oh, he was just injured and the Titans, you know, they weren't really trying to win around them. And yeah, I can, I can remember, you know, even coming off 2005, worst season we'd had since 97, in some ways the worst season ever for the Ravens, particularly because of, you know, the lack of discipline they had in the first month of the season. Uh, that game in Detroit is still like, probably one of the most embarrassing, maybe the most embarrassing display the Ravens have ever had in franchise history. That game was just awful. Yeah, Bart's got thrown the flag, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And there was there was other stuff in that game, too. It was, there was just... I, 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 when, when you were discussing in the pod that Ray was having some issues with Billick's handle on the team, I think that was probably pretty forefront in his mind was the the first half of 2005 but yeah and i think like you don't want to sensationalize and you don't want to like make it into more of a story than it necessarily was so i tried to do as much research on that and it seemed like it really like he really had issues like i, I don't think it was just contractual and i do think mm -hmm. to the flip side i think it was just as big to get a guy like mcnair like ray freaking loved mcnair man like he really had a love for the guy even when they were competitors like i i really do feel like there was like an iron sharpens iron thing there and I think McNair was really just such a perfect fit from that perspective. I mean, it's kind of, it's unfortunate he didn't come around a couple of years later and the Ravens would have had a chance to draft him. I feel like he would have been, if he had been here his whole career, you know, it would have been, would have been amazing. And I mean, obviously he did, oh, great. Man. He did great with the Oilers and, you know, the Titans and everything, but I don't know. It just feels like he would have fit here like a glove as well. So that would have been really cool. But yeah, man, I think to your point, like that was, that was a huge deal for them to go and get him. And I think he really wanted that. And like, it did kind of, settled them down a little bit for sure for that one year which was big and they had been and it, it's kind of like the whole theme of it is identity is very interesting because it can set a blueprint for you it can make you you know believing yourself to a certain extent if you just do x y and z but it can also kind of shackle you a little bit where 
you just go into every year and you got this great defense and it's like, ah, you know, won a Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer. All we need is this at quarterback. We don't need to, you know, go to, right. you don't need to do this on offense. Don't need to draft a wide receiver in the first round ever. <laughs> and that can kind of set you back a little bit in some ways. Like, you know, I, and I, you know, they're, they're very smart and I wouldn't change anything they've done really. Well, I wouldn't say anything, but I wouldn't change a lot of the things they've done over the last 25 years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think that, uh, all these issues we've been having with wide receiver and that we had with them hanging on for Joe Flacco, maybe a little bit too long. I do think it kind of goes back to that 2000 season where it's like, well, Trent Dilfer, you know, just good defense <laughs> in there. That's our yep. identity. Right. And <laughs> I, you know, I think that's great, but you know, it, it can definitely, it can shackle you down a little bit without you even realizing it. I think it's so well put. I think it did kind of pickle our brains you know, or like, you know, you figure out a defense, get a run game, you know, that's at least 10 wins right there. <laughs> and that's another thing with like episode four goes pretty, not to spoil it too much, but it does go heavily into like, this is really the time where things started to change, man. Uh, and you know, 2004 Bill Polian files a, and Jeff Fisher file a complaint with the league about pass interference and making that more of a point of emphasis because of Ty law, you know, mobbing, um, mobbing some Colts tight end on some play or something like that. And that, completely changes the sport, you know, next season Peyton Manning goes out and throws 48 touchdown passes. And, you know, it, it looks like the sport is on basically this new horizon and it would turn out to be that it would, you know, maybe go a little bit slower than go a little bit slower than you might've expected. But ultimately that's, that's what we're looking at now really with Mahomes and with all these guys, I really do think that's a byproduct of how the league was changing at the time and where the Ravens kind of, you know, with the way that they were set up, were they kind of a dinosaur with some comet approaching, right. With this league, you know, turning into something that they were not built for. And ultimately it didn't really turn out that way. Thankfully, that's why it's, you know, a season in between and they get Flacco and they surround him with some offensive weapons and get him the coordinator he needs and look what happens. But uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it was a really interesting time, I think. And they were, uh, they were interestingly built for that time. Let's just say. One thing I wanted to focus on too, is episode one is a lot about Billick and his relationship with Bashadi. And I've commented before on the show that I was a little surprised Billick never got a chance to coach again after the, um, you know, his firing, you know, here. And, and then like listening though, to your show, it kind of reminded me like, cause I wasn't too tuned in. I was thinking about when you guys were talking about like reliving this material, you know, I had no computer in 2006. There was a single TV with, with cable and I didn't have the remote. That was my mom. Right. And so like, it's like, I didn't watch that much, you know, ESPN or whatever. Like I didn't see probably a lot of this stuff that existed. Didn't have the internet to see like, you know, even like pictures, I don't, you know, or columns or whatever. So yeah. like, there's a lot of material I probably could like really enjoy going back and, and experiencing. But, um, yeah, to that, to that point, like now that I've listened to your show, I was like, maybe that's why Billy didn't get hired. You know, like, I mean, he was just a real, t- I mean, I, I know that he, I always knew that he was a big personality, but the, the way that he was, uh, almost stubborn, you know, uh, and just would do his thing, particularly with how the league was changing. Maybe people didn't like that going into you know a new relationship. It's so funny because he gets hired as this offensive mind, right? From Minnesota <laughs> right. with Randy Moss and Randall Cunningham, and it's like he's going to come in and he's going to sell seats in the new stadium, and like everything's going to be great offensively. And it just kind of it goes back to that identity thing where it, it suddenly it's all of a sudden very different. And he's commented before, like, I found myself in this position I wasn't fully prepared for, right? I'm from this Christian BYU, and I'm this offensive guy and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, he finds himself in charge of a bunch of defensive guys. And, you know, I think really to his credit, and I think it was on this ESPN 
uh, special or NFL films. Maybe it was like kind of a joint production where he's sitting down with Steve Sable and one guy, I think it was like Vic Carucci or one of these reporters made the comment that like, you know, they talk a lot about his ego and how he lets his ego get in the way of everything that he does. Probably true in some respects, but he really had to seed his ego and set it aside in that season when you really think about it, because, you know, he saw this team full of badasses with big personalities and it was not, you know, to the point, it was not really in keeping or in line with his upbringing or who he was, but he set that aside for the greater goal of going on to win. And I think that really was a pretty selfless thing. I mean, it, it was his meal ticket to a Super Bowl, so of course he was going to do it, but to be able to do it and do it in the fashion that he did, it really was, uh, it, it goes to show that coaching is more than just X's and O's sometimes. And I think he was, uh, he was quite a figure, man. He was one of a kind. And yeah, I think like he didn't get back. He didn't get a coach. I get into this a little bit in episode four with uh, him getting fired. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> but it, it just did. It felt like he really didn't want it. Like he, um, his heart just kind of wasn't in it. I don't think it. He obviously he loved the cameras and everything. So getting into the media was a natural transition, so, you know, he's been doing that for the past 15 years, whatever it's been. And then he's, uh, I think he's done some like side kind of things. You know, these things that like football guys get, you know, when they're, they're still kind of a part of the mafia. So their friends will give a throw <laughs> a little bone and have them be in like the personnel thing. Like, I think he's done some of that for like Arizona state or something, but I don't know. I think he just kind of like, he's one of these guys that exited stage left at the right time. Like he did what he was going to do and uh, he won a ring, which, you know, that's better than most coaches do in the history of the sport. And you know, he got his money and he, I think he lives on the Eastern shore now and he's just kind of living the good life, man. So yeah, he's a, uh, he's another guy that just really was a big reason why I wanted to do this because like, I don't know how you guys are with this way, but I am not the most self-confident person in the world sometimes. So to like see somebody like that, who is just relentlessly self-assured to his detriment at times. Sure. But like, I don't know. I think it really helped him. Like I just, I'm endlessly fascinated by that. So no, I, I definitely get what you're saying. I, I feel like I'm someone who, um, I mean, has confidence, but then I'm, I'm all, you know, I feel like probably the three of us can all relate to this. You know, you're, you're too smart for your own good. You're just like, you know, things that can happen or like, you know, you don't want to seem too overconfident away. And you're thinking about, okay, well, if I'm coming on too strong here, am I, you know, losing ground in, in this point that I'm trying to make to someone, you know, you can very easy to, to overthink. Yeah, no, yeah. Like, play that straw man thing <laughs> where it's like you're trying to like outwit somebody or like what? Oh yeah, an argument. So you like kind of stop yourself in your own tracks. But like the funny thing is, like he is as smart as like anyone if you really listen to him. Like oh yeah, these topics and there's some of it in the show. Like I said, like he's like you know he's quoting Shakespeare and he you know big movie buff <laughs> and all this big history guy. Super smart, but also just he didn't have that thing that stopped him. Like he would not stop in an argument. He would not you know. But and also like he would get into arguments like John Eisenberg said on the show, like we would get knocked down, drag out fights. And then I would walk away with a smile on my face because he was just that charismatic. Like he would still yeah. make you like, you know, there was still like a little bit of a warmth to him, which I think if he didn't have that, like he would have been gone like that because a guy like that might be a little overbearing or, you know, even unbearable at a certain point. But, you know, there was just there was a, a really dynamic energy to him. That's fascinating to look back on. I don't think they really make him like that anymore. I obviously don't know Billick, but I think something that that helps a person like that who is he was clearly intelligent and and clearly you know even here and sometimes the interview he'll he'll ex, you know seed sometimes where like you know after time has passed it'll be like oh maybe i came on too strong like in the media or you know maybe i made the wrong call here i think back to if you've ever watched um the footage they've had of him where he was on that old 70s game show match game or whatever while he was still at byu yeah and yeah, he yeah, just uh, the, tra the trailer for the first yeah. episode actually yeah yeah, and and he bombed it 
like he's on national TV at that point, and and his answer to one joke, I forget what it was, but it was just like, first off, so the it was so unfunny, and it kind of came off kind of wrong too. That like everyone on, on on the studio was just visibly groaning, and like you know, I I think you look at that footage, he called his composure there pretty well, and I think that's a, a skill that helps people in that situation, you know, who are, um, you know, intelligent, but still have that confidence. It's just like, not, not caring about what happens, but just having a thick skin to weather it, you know, to weather and understand like, Hey, you know, when you put yourself out there, you're going to fail a lot, but sometimes you're going to succeed. And just like figuring out how to weather that certainly helped him in Baltimore. I think that's one of the reasons we got the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, he had to face off with a uh, media contingent that was, you know, not a huge fan of his at times. You know, Mike Preston being a, a good sparring partner is, I think, in a good-natured way, sometimes in a way that would really irk him and piss him off. And uh, that was one of the guys. And then, obviously, the Super Bowl, you had, you know, Ray Lewis with the murder trial and everything. And he really had to take the heat for that. And, like, he was more than willing to go out there and do it. And, I mean, you got to give him credit because, like, I certainly would not be able to stand up in front of 200 people and – kind of rail at them a little bit in the way that he did and he that's another thing that he conceded where it was like maybe i you know was a little too emotional there but uh if you think that didn't fire his players up to see him up there defending him like that like i don't know i think uh if nothing else it certainly did that so the other thing that's a really crazy storyline that you get into with this show is you discuss the terrell owen side quest i think pretty well and and the kind of like again going back i remember that trade and I remember a little bit of this course from like ESPN and watching it kind of unfold there. But this was a really good way to go back and like really hear the specifics of everything that went down and get reminded of it. And then to go ahead the next season and pick up Derek Mason, uh, who is probably one of the best wide receivers the Ravens ever had. I think we've even discussed on the show. He might be the best that like he was just an absolute trooper, reliable. And then to pair him with his his you know, mate McNair the year after. I don't even know if that ever happened before this kind of like transfer of the uh, number one target and his Probably Brady with Gronk is a recent one, right? Oh yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And that's not even really like guys in their yeah. prime. I mean, that was kind of the end of the run for them, but that's one that I would think. Yeah. Of. Definitely rare. Good call. Yeah. So like, I just thought that was really cool to talk about too. And, and, and super on topic, so to speak, because we just did a show a couple weeks back about, the history of wide receivers. We, we briefly talked about the Terrell Owens bit because he didn't really exist, you know, on the Ravens. But that is another piece, I think, where you look at the season between and just a constant storyline with this franchise is dealing with these older wide receivers, uh, trying to figure out the position. Yeah, like he probably would have worn out his welcome, right? Like he probably would have been there for three or four years and then pissed off John Harbaugh if that was the same timeline we're talking about, you know, <laughs> the, uh, in the Bioshock Infinite, you know, uh, alternate worlds we're talking about. Like, are they, uh, you know, are they going to get along? I don't know. But like he would have, I really think there's a chance he could have settled in because like Ray Lewis wanted him. All those guys wanted him. They were advocating for it. I think he would have loved a lot of those guys in the locker room. And yeah, there's a good chance he wears them out, but I don't know. I think it would have been worth it for even just the cachet of saying, okay, we can go and get this guy. And th- is that going to help with future free agent signings? And it really screwed them because like that year they had Marcus Robinson, who was a solid player. And he was kind of thinking that T.O. was going to be there and he had every right to think that. And he's like, all right, well, I'm just going to leave. And I think he went to Minnesota and then T.O. backs out and they just, ha- they had no one for that, uh, that 05 season. Uh, or it might, I think it was the 04 season actually. And, 
that really put them in a bind for 04 at wide receiver. And really on that chapter, like you, you complimented me for that. I got to give all the credit to uh, my hitter, John Feinstein, who wrote uh, next man up, which everyone should go and read a uh, great, book. great book. Yeah. yeah. Covers the uh, 2004 Ravens season and kind of and what you would see now with like a show, like all or nothing. That was really the precursor to that. Um, and it's, it's better than those shows too. So go, go and check that out. Cause it, it does pull pretty liberally from that. And then some articles at the time from ESPN, I think too, were a big source there. Um, cause once again, like to your point, I, I don't remember any of this, like, I, you know, I was too young, but that, that helps me to, uh, get all the context I need. So, yeah. The TO, uh, saga was so interesting. I, cause I can remember being a fan in back in 2003. No, that was spring 2004, right? We made that trade. I can remember my dad coming home from work and saying, Oh, the Ravens, we traded for Terrell yeah. Owens. I was like, Oh, that's great. Who's Terrell Owens? And then, you know, figured out, oh, he's this excellent wide receiver. He put up all these crazy stats for, for San Francisco. And I was like, man, I'm so excited for it. And I get to school the next day. And I'm just like, man, telling my friends, like, man, we're going to get Terrell Owens. It's so great. And they're just like, actually, no, we're not. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I, think, uh, still, I, think, I think you and the front office were equally, uh, equally. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't know if I fully understand everything that happened. <laughs> it was, Crazy. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's freaking wild, man. But yeah, I mean, and like, I probably wouldn't have gone down that rabbit hole for the interest of time, if not for the fact that I think it was a very interesting kind of foil to the Derek Mason situation where, you know, you mentioned it probably one of the, one of, if not the best wide receiver in team history. And um, Ozzy said it best free agent signing in history, certainly. And I, I think he'd still, still certainly be in the conversation. There might've been some guys since, but I'm not thinking of anybody off the top of my head. Maybe I'm just kind of blanking on it, but yeah, really, really important figure. And then obviously get into it in the episode, but he comes back and retires as a Raven. Like, I think that's a pretty big deal because he was only in Baltimore for what, six or seven years. It was less than his time in Tennessee. He had gone to, you know, maybe the Texans for a little bit uh, the next, next year or so, but he came back and he just, uh, I thought that was a nice capstone to say that like, all right, you know, bashadi has been here for about a decade now, you know, they're about to win their second Super Bowl. This really shows that they, uh, they have kind of ascended to the, point of class that we kind of associate with them with now and sort of the mythology about them most of it true some of it not but uh you, you do got to give them credit for being as classy as they are handling things the way that they do i mean they they could have i ozzy newsom in particular could have walked away from that situation scorched earth like he had every right to be very pissed off and billick went into that uh when it happened saying like how do you do this to ozzy like he has been the consummate guy for this league he's done everything right and you're going to do this to him and um to his credit man they just rode out that 04 season with crappy wide receivers. They barely missed the playoffs, and then they go and get Derek. And you don't get much out of it in that that 05 season, but it winds up working out big time, especially for the the Flacco era, which is funny because he's one of these guys across those those two eras um, who is just a really big figure. And um, yeah, man, he's uh, he's awesome. Love Derek Mason. It kind of goes into the unsung heroes um, of the year. You know, you have uh, these guys that you remember, obviously. Um, Nada, because he had a huge career. That was his rookie year, though. Fairly yeah. cool. Um, another rookie that I'll, I'll say was a forgotten person that year, Dewan Landry. Bet, one of his best seasons, probably. Uh, I looked back, and maybe in 09, you could say he had a, a comparable season to 2006, but tied Ed Reed with five interceptions that year, three sacks. Fifth-round rookie. I mean, that's is that any good? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it goes back, and it, it was a perfect fitting uh, story for – one of the things you talked about is we just hit on the draft so often uh, in those years, like almost every pick hit, it was incredible. Um, and a lot of the top picks were actual you know, ring of honor players. Um, I mean, that's, that's hard to do. 
And when you do that, no, no surprise, we had such success. And really, we were probably a quarterback away from even more success uh, during those those bowler years. The, one, the first round pick that didn't hit, right? But episode four, what's it going to be titled? I don't know. The quarterback away. Damn. Oh, there you go. Look at yeah. that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. A lot, lot of unsung here. I mean, like, it, and it kind of makes me mad at myself a little bit because, like, I, d- I didn't talk about Trevor Price at all. He was awesome that year. Like, I think he had 13 sacks or something like that. I didn't did. get into yeah. Garrett Johnson very much. I feel like I should have uh, gotten into him more. But I think what I really wanted to do was kind of group guys together. And it's almost like, you know how in movies they do, like, a composite character, like the Jonah Hill character in Moneyball? <laughs> is like multiple right. different, it's Paul D. Podesta, but it's like other guys too. It's kind of like old guard is this group of players, and like that's kind of one character to me. New guard is this group of newer character, newer players, and that's kind of one character to me. And it's kind of like to me, characters are the backbone of like a good story and a good narrative. So I kind of wanted to do it from that perspective. But man, if I had a little bit more time, and I've already made these things too freaking long, um, <laughs> evidenced by the third, the fourth episode, which is going to be like ungodly long. I probably shouldn't have committed to the four episode limit, but I did. Um, yeah, man, I would have loved to get more into Trevor Price, more into Jarek Johnson, more into Landry. He gets a little bit of shine, uh, in the last episode because he did, I, he like didn't know something about, I, I don't even know if he knew that Bal- the Colts had played in Baltimore or something. He made some kind of comment. So <laughs> you'll hear that this coming Friday, but, uh, yeah, man, a lot, a lot of special guys on this team and, uh, would have been cool to spend more time with them. But unfortunately, uh, it was a little bit of a bigger picture thing, I think. Yeah. So. Well, what I will say is I, I think what's what's really interesting about the format that you're able to do is that you do go into more depth um, with the guys who aren't, like, say, the, the tier A um, stars of the team than uh, some format, like, say, at America's Gamer 30 for 30 uh, really has the time to do. so. And the resources. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think, well, I, I certainly understand wanting to get to everyone. It's just like... Eventually, I think you you would get to a point where like you're going down every one thing, and the only people listening still are are, are like me and like a couple other people who like <laughs> really want to get into the nitty gritties of yeah, everything. That's, that's, honestly, that's what I'm doing it for though, because like those those documentaries are awesome, and uh, you know they I pull audio from them and they're great. But I mean, they're kind of really for a national audience. Like I think they're yeah. more for people that don't know this story as much or you know wouldn't really otherwise care, but. This one really is, uh, I think it's one for the diehards, and I think it shows through because, it, like, to your point, it does get into the nitty-gritty. And, you know, I might not have the resources of, a, you know, ESPN or an NFL Films. You know, obviously those guys over there, and I've actually gotten to interview some of them, are awesome, and they do amazing work. But, I mean, I get, that does give me a little bit of liberty to, hey, if I want to go off on a tangent about Terrell Owens for 20 minutes, uh, when it, you know, it really only philosophically serves a story. It's not like a, a thing that moves it forward in this propulsive manner, uh, I get to do that. So that's maybe one cool yeah. thing about being uh, independent. So I'm going to throw out three names uh, from this season that are, I think are, are pretty obscure when you think about the collectivity of this team. But I do think all three of them played um, an interesting role in this season. And I want to get you guys' thoughts on them before I add mine. So the three players I'm going to throw out here are Daniel Wilcox, Corey Ivey, and Kyle Bowler. Nice. Well, Corey Ivey was mine, and I, I literally put it like a question mark, being like, I feel like he was pretty good, not talked about much, uh, you know, like just in he's, like Raven's lore. You know? Yeah, he's, an, he's another guy who um, I think it might be in this coming episode. He has a big game, so you get to him a little bit. It's nothing crazy. It's just kind of like in the little game summaries that I do, he gets kind of a shout out. Um, so yeah, I mean, he was he was another guy who he kind of just gets lost in the mix there, man. Like there's so many stars on that defense in particular, and he's a guy who. Funny, I mean, funny enough, he could maybe mention like a Corey Graham, you know, same first name, a guy who yeah. is 
has awesome moments and, you know, a, a big part of the history of the team in some ways. And maybe they just get forgot to history a little bit. So maybe this uh, brings a little more cachet to their name amongst the uh, the younger crew that might not remember. I'm curious to hear what you have to say about Daniel Wilcox, but I will throw out that he's actually done a couple shows now with Kevin Cusick that really? are like super interesting. Oh yeah. It, it, they're, they're really, really interesting shows. Um, talks about like his, his, you know, his experience in the league and then other things as well. Um, really like a phenomenal interview. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious what uh, you would have to say. Cause yeah, my, one of my guys, Ovi Mihaly, um, yeah. Surprisingly good catcher, you know, for a fullback. His <laughs> yards per target is seven point six. It was third best on the team. I was like, dang, look at this guy. I remember I remember him being kind of dynamic, but like I was I was surprised going back. He uh yeah, he he helped him win that Titans game. I don't know if he had a long touchdown or it was just a long catch. Oh, he did set them up. Yep, he yeah. did. So yeah, he uh he was dynamic, man. He was uh you, you think of like an early two thousands full or mid two thousands, I guess, fullback like that. You kind of just think of the bruiser with the uh the, the neck roll. Um, he was was a little more he was a little more dynamic i'd give a shout out to uh when i was doing forgotten dynasty there was this dude ron lee who was a fullback that burt jones loved and you would watch like old video like they did have videos at that time in the 70s you would watch videos of ron lee just getting dump offs and like you know trucking guys and like this was the 70s so it was way more violent back then but i mean it kind of reminds me of another guy who was just a a lower name guy that people probably aren't going to remember but uh a a cool character and you know they they (laughs) As much as it's kind of a joke, I mean, it, it really is the fullback factory here, man. You know, Indianapolis, you can have your quarterbacks, wide receivers, you know, where Pittsburgh, you know, we we make fullbacks here. That's what we do, and we're proud of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Mahaley, I, I actually almost listed off as well um, in that list, but I didn't want to make it too long. But yeah, I mean, I think for me, Wilcox, um, I a, a guy who's unsung, um, but I think fans definitely remember him. Yeah, yeah he, had a, he had a good amount of touchdowns, I think, that year. Or maybe he did, four, yeah. And yeah, like I talked to, obviously, Wade was the tight ends coach that year, and he's a little bit of a personal friend of mine. So I, you know, I, I have heard some good good stories about Daniel over the year. Not a ton. It's more, you know, yeah. he gets more into talking about like Todd was his guy, obviously. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah he, he definitely is an unsung hero. And that's cool that he uh, that he sat down with Ken. Maybe I'll have to, uh, we'll have to reach out to him. Yeah. I, I should have thought after this. <laughs> well, specifically, I think um, Wilcox, he caught McNair's first pa- uh, touchdown pass as a Raven, right? He did, yeah. Tampa. In that Tampa Bay game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I think you look at that, and then also he had a touchdown catch in that game against San Diego that helped us put um, in there. Uh, you know, not much. Not much, but you look at those things, and like both those plays were positive in helping the Ravens get off to that 4-0 start, which really set the tone for the rest of the season. They kind of always have a guy like that at tight end. Like they had Owen Daniels. Absolutely. I Owen yeah. Daniels in 2014 when after Pitta, yeah. he had an even bigger role. But he was just kind of another sneaky like veteran that they brought in who had just a really good season at tight end for them. And I know people yeah. talk about the playoff game, the drop touchdown, but I don't think that's fair. I thought he he had a good year that year. He did he did a ton for us in a, in a season which was so critical after Pitta went down so early. Yeah. And you know, Bowler, you talked about it well, I think, in, in the pod. His play when he was called upon was erratic. But I think in some ways, this year was his best year as a pro. And when he came in for McNair in the couple games when he had to, the Carolina game, even though we lost that, you know, we still stayed in that game. And then um, it, what did he, he came in and had to play for McNair when McNair went out early in the game, the home game against Cleveland, and he did well there. I think even though he was the backup there, he had to be called in a couple times because McNair was out a couple times for injury. And 
you know, maybe I'm overweighing what he did here because the rest of his career was so awful, but um, I felt like he kept the ball rolling on that offense when he when we really needed him to, and that was something that, you know, quarterback clip play, so critical to the Ravens during those years, just, just doing your job gets you uh, the gold star there. So um, Bowler, again, I'm not going to say that he was you know, the first round pick that we'd always wanted him to be when he had to step in there for McNair. But when his number had to be called upon that year, I think he he answered the call the best he had um, at any point during his career. And I think it helped that offense uh, continue to roll until that fateful playoff run. Yeah, he's uh, in the coming episode. He has a big role in a, a t-shirt and hat game, which is probably the, you know, the high point of his career, which is awesome. And like, if anything, like if you take away something from this, one of them that I would want them to be is like, these guys are human beings and let's treat them as such in, especially now in the social media era, it was bad for him at the time. Can you imagine if it, if, you know, he were to go on and have the, uh, the tough career that he did now, he would have taken apart. And I don't know, like, I just, I was really impressed by him on a personal level. I thought he came off really well. He did that uh, interview with John Eisenberg, which everyone should go back and listen to what happened to that guy is what the podcast is called. It's from like five years ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, he just sat down with John for 30 minutes and he was very candid and said like, look, you know, it, I don't think they handled development perfectly well. I think that could have used some more help at receiver. I could have used some time on the bench uh, to start mm-hmm. off, but ultimately, like it's on me. I made the mistake, and like he's just I don't know, he strikes me as a pretty well adjusted guy. And you know, I wouldn't say he's completely like at peace over it, but he doesn't seem super embittered about it, like you would expect him to be. Like I think he's just living in Northern California now, and he's got his family, and you know, doing his thing. Um, maybe like owning some businesses and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's a, a good interview. And I think ultimately it was a good guy and a good teammate. And um, he does, he does get that moment, which you'll hear in the coming episode. And when Steve completed the comeback um, in Tennessee uh, over the Titans, he he's the first guy on the sideline to congratulate him after he threw that game winning touchdown to Mason, which I thought was really cool. He obviously uh, it didn't work out for him as a player, but it's just, these guys, they're real people. So like, especially now when you've got access to Twitter and you can go tweet at Patrick Queen and you can go tweet at like these guys are real people and they're trying to do their best. And sometimes it doesn't work out. But let's all just be a little bit better to each other. 100% in agreement. Uh, I think overall, we, we are making a, a change as a society of sports fans to do that. I think we got a long way to go. Like you're saying, Twitter is, is making it really, you know, not too bad. I'll say one of the most embarrassing moments I can remember um, being a fan. Um, my dad had season tickets for a little bit. Um, 2001 to 2004. So I go to games with him growing up. And I remember 2001, um, you know, as a kid, I think you get it, but you're also, you don't understand how the world works. You don't really understand what these guys are going through. I can remember being at the game against Cleveland. Uh, This was just Gerback's first game back after Randall Cunningham was in there for a couple games because Gerback got hurt. And Gerback was just awful in that game. I think he threw like three picks. Cleveland beat us pretty bad. And like, Every time after Gerback threw an interception, I can remember clear as day, the whole stadium just started cheering for, just screaming for Randall Cunningham to come in. And like, I look back on that now and I'm just like, you know, I get the fan frustration, but it just felt so classless now in retrospect because it's like, you know, the man's trying to do his job. Um, If you've caught up with Gerback um, at all on a little bit that he's, he's shown, I mean, I think he's like a counselor now. Um, you know, he's just a human, just like the rest of us. I have no idea if he was a good guy or a bad guy, you know, never met the guy, but you know, just trying to do his best, you know, but yeah, I think Shannon yeah. actually in the, it's in the show. I think Shannon Sharp talks about that moment. 
Um, and like, he was pretty pissed off and he kind of lit into gear back too. And I yeah. just like the guy was really taking it on all sides. And I don't mean to like get on my high horse here. It's totally okay to like be mad or whatever. Like when the, the team doesn't do well. Oh, Hey, I, I'm, I'm not blameless myself. Yeah. Look, I'm just, I'm saying what I aspire to be not saying how I've ever, yeah. you know, <laughs> talked about, ever talked about any player perfectly on this show. Yeah, no, <laughs> no doubt. So it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, just, hey, you know, before you in particular, before you tweet at these guys, just think a little bit, just, you know, take a beat, you know, take five, five seconds and think it over and think if it's really going to, going to help you. And I, you know, if that helps even one person to see the light, then I'm glad I said it. Uh, yeah. yeah, man, that's just, uh, that's really how it is. And, um, it, it can be tough sometimes, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I haven't heard much. From, I, I think Gareback got like sexiest man alive or something at some point. So maybe he's doing okay, but <laughs> <laughs> I think that was, uh, who knows, but one last thing I want to say, because before we get off this topic, um, I will I will say for Bowler, again, don't know the guy, but I will say I do appreciate it. Back in uh, 2006, so the training camp beforehand, um, we would go down to Owings Mills all the time um, we have to a training camp. Um, my brother, I guess he was four turning five at that point. Um, brother was obsessed with the Ravens growing up. I think his his first words may have actually been go Ravens or like touchdown Ravens or something like that. He had Raven, a Ravens jersey that my parents could never take off. And they would like wash it every week and he would just, just wear it the whole week. It was crazy. But um, we were staying after um, practice once and uh, everyone else was in. Bowler was out there, you know, working with the coaches on something. And he saw that we were still there and he, he came over and he, he took pictures with, with my brother and, you know, talked to us a little bit, you know, just like asked how we were doing, just, you know, how we liked the Ravens. Um, the whole interaction couldn't have lasted more than four minutes, but still, you know, I thought it was an, a nice gesture for him to come up. You know, my brother's five, you know say hi to the kid, take pictures with him, you know, you know, a cool moment. So hope he's doing well in life right now. Yeah. It sounds like he is. And that is like a, a cool thing that he did. And it, it sounded like he was kind of that, that consummate teammate, the, the good professional. And uh, he, he definitely seemed like he was a, and, you know, hopefully still is a good dude. I, I would assume that he is. And you know, like I said, when I talked to John and so, you know, that audio is featured on the show. Um, yeah. Just, you know, well-adjusted guy and it just didn't work out for him. And uh, yeah, I think it could just, you know, serve as a little bit of an example to, you know, these guys are real people and try not to get too crazy on them because they, trust me, there's nobody that wants to succeed more than they do. Like they, they're trying to make this thing work. And um, I don't know. It's, it's why like I, people can do what they want, but like, why do why boo? I never really get that. Like, why, like, what is that going to accomplish? Like it, all it does is get the broadcast to say, Oh, they're boo. Like, I, I don't know. It's just, I'm not, I'm not a boo. Guy. I don't know about y'all. Anti-boo. I, I I boo umps, you know, boo reps. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh yeah, players are people, but umps and reps. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a good point. Joe West probably deserved it uh over the course of his career and uh, <laughs> Jeff Triplett and things of that nature. They they could probably take a little bit of a beating. But uh, you know, the player the players, especially the players on your team, you know, I, I don't really see the utility in it, but I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm, whatever. Peter, you said that there was a story you remembered from when we went to training camp this year. Oh yeah, well, like I said, we we went to training camp a lot of times, and yeah, yeah, yeah. reminiscing about these old uh, older years always reminds me about funny stories growing up. And for whatever reason, Alec, I hate to say it, it's just like so many uh, of the funny stories with that I remember of us growing up was like you having this great idea and like someone <laughs> squashing it, and like so you know going to all these mills. Like I said, my family we went to training camp a ton. I think one time. I can't remember if like we'd planned going to it at the same time or like we ran into you guys there or what it was, but, but we were watching training camp together. And then afterwards there was this, like the sports bar and grill close by to, uh, 
to the college. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. I'm remembering this. And <laughs> we went to go get burgers and we're looking over the menu and you're like, like there was this, this burger on there was like two pound patty with like an egg on it. And you were just like, man, this is the burger. This is the one. This is what we're getting. And then your mom's just like, like, Aleko, it's going to upset your stomach. You're not getting it. And you're like, fine, I'll just get the bacon burger. I don't know. <laughs> There's so many of those stories like that. <laughs> and you're the same way still, man. But now, now you've got your own resources and you're your own man. You can, you can let your hype go to 11 and, <laughs> and you can decide if it's a good decision or not. But yeah, whatever burger you want now. <laughs> man, that reminds me of that one time we had those pizzas at, at some like church event and we were both like, we're going to put down this pizza. One of each. <laughs> we were, bad, bad times after that. Very bad times. <laughs> oh, God. I, I still don't know how much pizza I ate that night. That was not a good idea at all. Oh, man. I thought I could, I thought I could eat forever back in high school. And that night, I found out. <laughs> you could not. <laughs> I mean, I could, but I would regret it. There was, there was a certain amount of food you could eat where you would regret it. <laughs> Anyways. Well, Jake, thanks so much for uh, joining us on the show and again to talk about this uh, amazing series that you put together. I mean, honestly, guys, like, if you have any road trips, you know, you go into the beach or whatever the heck you're doing this summer and you haven't listened to this yet, it's an amazing material. Uh, put it on and, uh, and check it out. Cause, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's made for fans like us. Like if you're listening to a show like this or, you know, any other, like a third party, not, uh, you know, Ravens media stuff, like you're probably going to really dig it cause it, it really gets into the nitty gritty. Yeah, no, I appreciate the kind words and the interest and, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm doing it for myself and I'm doing it for, for guys like you and for hopefully your, your great listeners who are going to check it out you know it's it is for the diehards i think and uh it's yeah to your point very binge friendly so last episode is coming out this coming friday so you'll have uh several hours of uh of content for your commute or for your drive to the beach or your drive back or whatever it might be so check it out excellent well again guys you can find jake on uh X52. What's your, like, uh, I guess you're on X or Twitter, whatever the hell they're calling it now. I love how every episode now we have to talk a little bit about what's going on with Twitter. Yeah, get after, get after <laughs> me on uh, on X uh, at Jake Luke, and that's spelled L-O-U-Q-U-E. I was talking to a uh, an ex-employee at the Orioles game uh, this past weekend, and uh, <laughs> he is uh, not too thrilled with the current state of uh, his job. Oh, right man. Now. Oh, no is, kidding. Is he a is he thinking about being an XX employee? Yeah, he might. He might be. Well, it'll probably be called Twitter again by the time that you know he's leaving there. But who knows? Good grief! Oh man, I'll, I'll, I'll love to hear about that offline. But uh, anyway, it's wrap up. We have another interesting show coming up next week. Uh, a little tease: we're going to be with uh, Jason from Huddle It Up Films, and we're going to kind of discuss uh, maybe a little bit of a defensive change that's coming for the Ravens um, you know, schematically. Talk a little bit more about. Um, you know, how these players, kind of like almost an extension of our show we did with Ken uh, was a week or two ago, uh, talking about players are going to have different roles. So uh, definitely stay tuned for that, and we'll catch you soon. Go Ravens! <laughs>